Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6, and um, while you're turning there, I just want to take a minute and acknowledge and recognize um, all, I don't, I don't think many people recognize all of the volunteer work that goes in behind the scenes to make what all happens here on a Sunday morning happen, and uh, I just want to recognize uh, Worship teams, these are all volunteers who give of their time every week to facilitate what happens. Our tech teams who are working consistently throughout the service to make sure you all can hear and see. And we have greeters and ushers that come in early to make sure people are welcomed. There's a whole group of people who get here before Sunday school to set up coffee and treats back here. There's people who come in and shovel walks and clear parking lots. There's children's workers right now that are helping watch kids so that you guys can focus. There is abundance of people that are not staff and uh, outside of just desiring to serve uh, have no earthly reward or merit for doing that. And I just want to stop a minute and appreciate those of you who volunteer week in and week out and make this happen. So can we just give it a round of applause for people who serve and volunteer? Because it's really easy to come and sit and uh, just enjoy. And um, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes. I just want you who volunteer each week to know you're loved, you're appreciated. And I am so grateful for you because... The life and ministry of the church would not happen uh, without you all joining us in that. So just wanted to appreciate you guys for that. Uh, We are in uh, our series on prayer, and uh, we've just got a few more weeks left in this. Really, this week and two more weeks. And uh, I'll give a little uh, preview of what we're going to be doing after that. In the month of March, we're going to be shifting from prayer and we're going to focus on all of life as worship. And we're going to look at uh, rediscovering biblical worship that goes beyond Sunday morning. And so we're going to spend the month of March looking at biblical text in that. And uh, then, believe it or not, after we get through March, then we're in uh, we're in resurrection Sunday season. We'll have Palm Sunday, a good Friday service that we're planning. It's in the works. And then... uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday. And then after that, we're actually going to jump into a series called Tolerable Sins. And we're going to look at what are the sins we're prone to tolerate that biblically we shouldn't. And you're going to get to hear from a couple of our elders during that series as they teach. And uh, I'm really looking forward to that series. And then the whole rest of the year after that, we're going to be in Genesis. And we're going to go through the book of Genesis together. So um, that is 100% the entire sermon calendar for the rest of this year. Okay? 
Um, so just so you kind of have an idea where we're going and what we're going to be studying. And I just want to encourage you as we go through these things, uh, take advantage of curriculum that we write so that you can study more. Uh, be in your Bibles, family. Uh, don't just use this as the time to check a box. Study God's Word. Uh, we just finished talking about the Bible in my Sunday school class this week, and I encourage them the same thing. Know that you don't have to have a Bible degree to understand the Bible. It's one of the most amazing aspects of God's Word is it's made available to you. And uh, we need to understand that as a privilege and a joy. So may we take full advantage of that. So one of the things that I've always found humorous uh, is in on any piece of equipment or any tool, if you look in the manual or if it's a piece of farm machinery, which is where I often see these, uh, you see these little pictures of this uh, no-expressioned person doing something that you absolutely should not do and showing the end result. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of my favorites are uh, if you look at like a combine, for instance, a piece of farm equipment that uh, clearly has a lot of sharp moving pieces and it shows these pictures of some guy like diving into the head and his, his members being cut to pieces. And it's like, don't do this. And you think, well, yeah, duh, right? Uh, but nevertheless, those things are in place because naturally speaking, there are times when we might be prone to do something that we know is probably not the way I should do this. And I know many of you who, whether you're a mechanic or a farmer or you just tinker with things, there's, I'm sure you have plenty of stories of times you're like, yeah, I should not have done this, but I did it anyway. Uh, my wife loves it whenever I'm doing something that I probably shouldn't be. And uh, my response, she's like, you probably shouldn't be doing that. And my response is, ah, I've done worse. Um, doesn't mean you should, right? Doesn't mean it's good for you to do that. The reason I bring this up is because as we step into today's, last week we looked at how should we pray. What does the Bible say about how should we? But today I want to talk about how not to pray. And one of the things I love about Scripture is it doesn't just give you a list of specific instructions about how you should do something, but there's many places in Scripture it highlights, um, don't do this. And so I want you to just think about these as uh, the warning signs in Scripture, the things that we should, as we read, identify and go, okay, if I could make a giant label with a faceless character doing this and saying, don't do this, these would fit into that category. And we're going to use the same text that we used last week, just we're actually going to use the earlier verses of this, where Jesus is the one teaching this, and he teaches them specifically uh, how not to pray. And we have a, a specific emphasis here. Uh, in contrast, and so this is the format we're going to use this morning based in the biblical text to outline what Jesus specifically instructs. So I'm going to start, I'm going to read in verse 5, I'm going to read through verse 8 of Matthew chapter 6, and then we're going to pray and we're going to dive into this this morning and seek to answer the question, how should we not go about prayer? And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites. Everyone say hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Heavenly Father, as we unpack this, may you instruct and challenge us. May it not be simply words we hear, but may it be truth we apply and live for your glory For the sake of the gospel, in Jesus' name, amen. So right out of the gate, the don't here becomes very, very clear. Don't pray to be seen by others. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Recognize there the contrasting viewpoint. The hypocrites are what is to be compared to here. Why should you not pray like the hypocrites? Because they love, they love to stand and pray on the street corners. Why? Because everyone will see how spiritual I am. Look at me. I'm going to pray in public and yet in the midst of their private lives, it is implied that they are hypocrites, which means they do not practice what is visibly seen on the outside. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know what? There are few people who can top the... You're going to have to sit with me in my Bible college days for a minute. There are few people who can top the prayer of a guy at Bible college trying to impress a girl that they just met. And I, I feel like I witnessed this so much that you would see people in the dining hall and, man, you could really lay it on. In fact, I was having a conversation with a guy uh, just a couple days ago in a discipleship community I'm a part of once a month. And uh, he, he and I were talking about the need to actually pursue our wives consistently. Because this is what happens. We, uh, in the dating phase, we're, we do anything and everything we can to get their attention. And he said, yeah, when I, was at, when I was at school, before me and my now wife were dating, I would drive on my way to work. I would drive past the area where she would have to walk to get to her dorm. And I would intentionally blast music that she liked. Just in case. Just in case she might be walking and be like, oh, man, a guy who likes the music I like. But he said, how easy is it that after you're married, it's almost like you check a box and you stop pursuing your spouse. And the reason I mention this is because how often does that become our prayer life? How often does that become not just our prayer life, but our devotion to the Lord? Where maybe early on when we made a decision to follow Jesus, uh, we were really hungry and eager and there was true devotion and, and innocence there. It's one of the reasons that I consistently will say there are times my kids teach me more about prayer than any other person. Because there's an innocence there and an honesty that is not tainted by the hypocritical nature of us as adults. 
And this can happen regardless of where we're at. It doesn't just have to, have to be the guy at Bible college who's seeking to impress a professor or a girl he just met. It can happen right here in our midst on a Sunday morning where maybe we pray vocally and verbally, but the problem being this is the only place we pray. Maybe it's in a moment where I'm in a group setting and people see me as the spiritual one and so I feel obligated to do something because if I don't, what are people going to think of me? What will they say? And you see, this is the very notion of a hypocrite, someone who gives the impression that they are one way when in reality they live contrary to that. Giving the impression that God is your priority, but living contrary to that. The most practical example we have of these so-called hypocrites, and most likely who Jesus is referring to here is the Pharisees, who were very well versed. You have to understand, these were not your run-of-the-mill people. These were the religious gurus of the day. These guys knew their scripture. And they knew the rules. The problem was, as Jesus referred to in other scripture, you are whitewashed tombs who on the outside look great, but inside are dead man's bones. What does our public prayer life reveal about who we are? And when I say we, I don't mean just individually. I mean as the church. Do we come and pray and sing songs and devote ourselves to Scripture on Sunday only? Or are we faithful as a family to pursue these things together every single day? Do we believe that God can only be worshipped in a facility? Or do we see God is deserving of our worship in all of life? Don't pray to be seen by others. Why? Here's what Scripture says is the why. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Don't do that. Why? Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What does that mean? It means that if you are doing anything of a spiritual nature to be seen by men, and that is your motivation, that is the only reward you will receive from that. The only reward you will get for doing such a thing is the offshoot chance that someone comes to you and says, oh man, you are such a gifted prayer person. If that's your motive, that is the only reward you get. God is not impressed. There is something to be said about a humility. And so, there's an instead here that we see in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, Shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I've had people before who come to this text of scripture and they go, well, according to Jesus, we should just never pray in public. No, 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 no. That's not what this is saying. This has a lot more to do with the heart condition of the one praying than it has to do with the application of where they're praying. And the reason I say that is for, there's a, I'll mention a couple other places. 1 Timothy 2.8, Paul says, I desire that in every place 
the men would pray lifting holy hands in every place. You want a more specific example? In Acts chapter 12, verses 12 through 17, this is where it identifies that there were many people gathered to pray. And this is when Peter gets out of prison and he comes to the gate, he comes to the door. And the person who answers the door is so amazed because this is what they've been praying for that she shuts the door in his face and goes back to tell everyone. But what I want to emphasize more, it's a hilarious story when you read it, but what I want to emphasize more is it was emphasizing many had gathered together to pray. Praying together, praying corporately, praying in public is biblical. What is not biblical is praying with the motive that other people would see my righteousness. Because God doesn't care what other people think of you. What God cares about is the heart condition of where you're really at. Who am I when I am alone? And here you want a hard truth, family. Who I am when I am alone is who I really am. Who I am when the door is shut at the end of the day is who I really am. This is why I often tell people that if you really want to know and verify whether or not I am living in the way I should be living, you go talk to my wife. Because she sees. Those of you who don't have spouses to keep you accountable, I encourage you, you need to have some accountability in your life. And in fact, God has called every one of us into an intimate accountability with each other as the church. The problem is, is we're much more concerned about showing off our own spiritual prowess than we are about being humble and honest about where we really struggle. And until we end this, that stigma, church, we will continue in this cycle. When people say that the church is full of hypocrites, they're often not wrong. We are very guilty of this. And it takes self-control and discipline to admit when we fall into that. When we fall into giving an outward interpretation that we are someone that at home we are not. And so I will challenge you with this. Don't pray in public if your private prayer life doesn't exist. If you do not commit yourself, devote yourself to prayer in your home, on your own, if you are not before the Lord in devotion to the Lord, then don't try to commit yourself to publicly praying because all that's doing is it's giving the impression that you are somewhere that you're not. And God is not fooled. Don't pray simply to be seen by others. Rather, pray with a focus vertically on who God is and what He has called us to. Now, there's a second one here in verse 7. Don't Heap up empty phrases. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. This is verse 7. 
as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Some of the other translations, I like how it puts us. It says, don't babble on or don't keep on babbling as the Gentiles do. And this, once again, is another way that we try to show our expert spiritual prowess. And uh, some of you may have been exposed to this before. Um, If you have ever encountered someone who prays their prayers in King James language, I like to call it. Thou, most high God, above all, ye are faithful and awesome in power. Glory to thee. Humble thy servant. You see what I'm saying? Why? Okay. Why? Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the King James Version of the Bible. However, no one talks like that anymore. Okay? Don't pray like that. Because all that signifies is I need to somehow put on a different level of spirituality for everyone else to see. The same is true if I am trying to pray with some kind of theologically intense, in-depth prayer that half of the people won't understand some of the words I said. Do not heap up empty phrases. And here's what's interesting about this. The Gentiles, which in contrast to the Jewish people, understand that in Christ, all can be saved. Both the Jew and the Gentile. But when Jesus, in his teaching specifically to Jewish people, refers to the Gentiles, it would be the same as us referring to the unsaved, those who are lost. And so think about it in this way. Jesus is telling these people, don't don't pray like those who don't know the Lord, who just toss up random words and hope by their many words and the phrases they say that God will somehow hear them. Because your many words mean nothing. God is not impressed. Now, there's a piece of this that's really hopeful. Because you know what this means? I can't tell you the number of times I've encountered someone who doesn't pray. Because they say, I I just can't pray well. I hear all these people pray. And they, they just articulate it so well. God doesn't care. He doesn't care. And you know what? Sometimes the prayers that have blessed me the most are the most simple. Because why? I overcomplicate it. I am prone to overcomplicate it. And that's why when someone prays simply, God, I don't, I don't really know what to say, but man, I'm, I'm just grateful for who you are. And I want to honor you. Amen. Oh, There's so much honesty and vulnerability there. Here's the amazing truth. You don't have to have a degree in prayer to pray. You don't have to be an expert in prayer to pray. All you need is a relationship with the Most High God. I don't know about you, but I love to talk with little kids who can barely say anything. It's so much fun. And you can only make out like half the words they say. Oh, it's so much fun. Why? Because 
there's something about those kids just wanting to engage with you, even if they can't form words, that is relationally empowering. And from the very, very littlest of age, they start jabbering. Da, 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 da. You're like, oh, I love talking to this. You're not really saying anything, are you? What's significant about that? There's a relationship there. And there's a basic human desire. To want, I want to communicate. And when a little kid comes up and starts jabbering at you, you don't go, oh, you know what? Wait five years when you can actually talk to me with words and then we'll have a conversation. If you do do that, good grief. Don't do that. Okay? But think about this. God as Father, as Creator, has given us in Jesus a way to come before His throne. And even as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, how do I pray when I don't know how? The Spirit of God intercedes on your behalf. It's not about your amount of words or how articulated you can be. It's about you being in relationship with the Most High God. It's a beautiful picture. Turn with me briefly here to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And this, this probably gives us a better contrast of these two uh, emphasis. And Jesus here um, identifying people who trusted really in their own righteousness. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9. And I'm going to read through verse, uh, verse 13. Or verse 14, sorry. I'm going to read through verse 14. It says, He also told this parable to some who trusted, get this, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So Jesus is here to put some context, and he is around some of these people who are convinced, I am good enough. I've got this. Look at my righteousness. And so he's like, I'm going to tell you a story. They not only... Considered uh, in them, trusted in themselves as righteous, they treated others with contempt. Verse 10. Two men <clears throat> went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, understand that contextually you could not get more opposite in biblical history. On the one hand, you had the Pharisees who were considered the high religious people of the day. And on the other side of this, you had a tax collector who was generally despised by everyone... Because they made their money by telling people, basically deception. They would deceive people into saying the tax is this much. And they were only required to give to Caesar what was due. And anything more they collected, they got to keep. So they, people did not like them. They did not like them at all. So there are two contrasts here. Highest of the high in the religious community and kind of the lowest of the low. The Pharisee, verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus. Now, understand, the Pharisee here, it doesn't say he's in public. He's by himself, and this is still what's happening, okay? Who you are in private is who you really are. God, I'm just picturing someone in self-righteousness praying this prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector, standing far off. Why do you think he was standing far off? It's evidenced in how he prayed. Would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, speaking of the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Church family, where in our life as the church are we most prone to exalt ourselves over the Most High God? Think about that for a minute. Now, in the scope of all of this, at the end, you know, don't do this because your word, many words mean nothing. And instead, this is where Jesus goes into our passage we talked about last week. Pray like this. It goes into the Lord's Prayer. As we think about why is it that we cannot depend on our own righteousness? Here's why, church. Ephesians 2 says, You are saved by grace through faith. And it is not of works. Why? So that no one can boast. It is a gift of God in Christ Jesus. The very gift of salvation that you cannot earn is the reason why no amount of our righteousness should be done in order to show everyone. Because the truth of Scripture is, we are not worthy. Like the tax collector in Luke 18, we should every time we approach the Most High God, if we understand who He really is, who He truly is, should struggle even to lift our eyes to heaven because we see who we are. And simply pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, obviously, it shouldn't just stay there. Jesus, outlining in Matthew 6 of the Lord's Prayer, goes on to request sufficient, the daily needs for this day to keep us from evil, to focus us on that which is of God's will, not of our own. But what is my motive? Do I live as someone who's redeemed only by the blood of Jesus? Or have I convinced myself that I can do this alone? In closing, I have two application practical things for us as a church. Number one, let your desire to pray be rooted in your desire for God. Not your desire to be seen by other people. Not your desire to somehow show off. Not, not, not your desire to just be spiritual. Let our desire to pray be rooted in our desire for God. I, I pray that would be true here. I pray that would be true not just about prayer, but about all of worship. Which is not just singing. And we're going to talk about that in our next series. It's everything we do. Every breath that we take is an opportunity for this. And secondly, let your devotion to God 
be consistent in public and in private. I plead with you, church family, don't allow a day to go by where you are someone different on Sunday morning than who you are during the week. Be consistent in this. Don't be a hypocrite. (laughs) And I understand this is hard. I understand that it's a challenge because in our flesh, we are most prone to do this our own way. But if we want to experience the fullness of the presence of God as far as we can on this earth, we have to be people who are consistent. And so I challenge you this week, what changes do you need to make this week to be consistent in private as you are in public? What do you need to do in your workplaces? What do you need to do in your homes? What do you need to do with your kids or your spouse? What do you need to do with extended family? Who has God called you to be? And how are you going to live that out? Not here. Most importantly, every day that God gives you breath in this community. My prayer is that we would be able to live our lives in honor of God and the gospel. The very salvation he's given us in Christ, who is the only way, the only truth, the only life that we have. And understanding apart from Jesus, none of us can come to the Father. It's only through him. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to sing one more song together. Let's stand together. Father, thank you for the hope of Christ. Thank you for the demonstration of humility. That Jesus, though being in the form of God, humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. Father, may we do that very thing as we reflect even on the truth in Luke 18, that the one who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. God, may your church be exalted only because of the desire to pursue what you have called us to do and to be. Father, may we live in light of the hope of Christ today and every day this week. Convict us of how we can be transformed continually, maturing to be mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.